Well, good to have you today in God's house. Looks great. Great crowd today. We're glad that you're here today. I wish every Sunday was Easter Sunday as a pastor. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love that. But uh, anyways, it is good to have you here in God's house today. We're so glad to have you. And beautiful songs. Thank you, praise team, for that. That's that great. Great. Just great songs to sing around the resurrection and to celebrate our Lord and Savior who's risen from the dead. I want you to take your Bibles today and turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I was thinking today or this week as I was preparing my message, I've done so many messages on the resurrection uh, because I've done so many preach, so much preaching around the Easter season. And so uh, you're always kind of looking for a new angle and a new way to approach that. And so today I want to uh, preach a message entitled, You Won't Miss Out on Anything. You Won't Miss Out on Anything. And it's taken from Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 36, and I'm going to stop with um, verse 47. Let's stand together. We'll read together from God's Word. Follow along now as I read. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law and the Mo of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for, sin, for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You may be seated. You know, by the way, I want to mention Love Life. We're doing the Love Life Walk. Our church is sponsoring the day. That'll be um, April 22nd at 9 o'clock over on Randleman Road. We meet at the Destiny Church. Then we make our way up and walk around the abortion clinic there. We do praise and prayer. It's very low-key, but it's very powerful. And I'd like to invite you to come. If you've never been to one of our Love Life Walks, that'll be April 22nd, 9 o'clock. And so keep that in mind. That is a powerful event, and you can be used of God there. I can't think of anything more powerful to do than to pray and to sing praise to God. That, that's how God brings the walls down. If you look at it throughout the Old Testament, that's how he did it, through praise and prayer. And so we want to do that for abortion. And we want to see those walls come down. Thank you for the ones who are sidewalk counselors and those that deal with some individuals to try to uh, convince some of these women and even the men who bring these women about carrying that baby to term. And, and we pray for those in the abortion clinic. We have their names and we pray for uh, the owners of these abortion clinics and ask God to just really break and work in their heart and draw them to repentance. And so it's a very great way to do that. We'd love to have you come and be a part of that. That's a week from Saturday, April 22nd, so come if you can. All right, having said that then, um, as I come to this passage of Scripture, um, a lot of people say, well, what day did Jesus actually die? Actually, there's a great article on that. If you'd like me to send it to you, it's worth reading. It's not that hard to understand, but... Basically, Andrea Andras 
Kostenberger wrote an article for the Center for Biblical uh, Research, and he basically answered the question of why we believe we can know exact, the exact date Jesus died. Now, I find that fascinating because for all the years that I studied it, there was a lot of arguments for different dates, and now they've come up with some new historical evidence and also with some internal evidence from the scriptures that they can date the death of Jesus on April 3rd, A.D. 33. Now, just think about that for a minute, okay? April 3rd, that had been last Monday, April 3rd would have been the day of his crucifixion that he died and that would be A.D. 33. So you might want to read that article. I'll, I'll send it to you if you want it. Just email me, and I'll get it. Yet. It's a great copy to read. Um, um, what I want to say about that. So really, when he looks at that, then he says, we're 1,990 years from the death of Christ. So we're still not quite 2,000 years, but we're 1,990 from the death of Christ, which is a fascinating article uh, to read, and I just suggest you maybe look into that. Okay, having said that, then, on this date of April 3rd, A.D. 33, Jesus then, three days later, would be Wednesday, rises from the, our Wednesday, I'm thinking of out loud, uh, rises from the dead, and he appears unto his disciples in the upper room. Now, how do you capture, what would you compare that experience to? How do you capture what they experienced then with maybe something today? And I was trying to do that in a way that would kind of uh, just be some kind of shock and wonder that you would think Jesus just appears. A lot of people say he walked through the wall, but the Bible doesn't say that. It just says he appeared. We don't know if he walked through the walls or not. And some people say because it says the doors were locked and he appeared, but it doesn't tell us he walked through the walls. It just says he appeared. So um, that shock and wonder that must have been when he just showed up because they were really going through a faith crisis in their life. And uh, when I thought about that shock and that wonder, I came across an article from the LA Times uh, just a few years ago where this uh, interview was being done with this family. This man's name was Joe Estrada. He was 49 years of age and he had... Um, diabetes, and his doctor told him he needed started to exercise uh, to bring his diabetes under control. And so he started to go down the road from his house, and he would park in a lot. He was from Baytown, Texas, which would be a suburb of Houston. And he would go down the road to that lot, park his truck, and then he would run the trail. And he wanted to get some weight off and get himself healthier. Well, as he left to the parking lot to go on the trail, unbeknownst to him, just a few moments earlier, there was a paramedic there that had taken another jogger that had been running on the trail, but had died while he ran on the trail, and they couldn't resuscitate him, and they took him back to the hospital at the emergency room. Well, the only thing they found on his body was one key. That's all he had in his jogging outfit. And so the sheriff had a hunch maybe he could go back and put that key into one of the cars or one of the trucks and find out who it was and then contact the family. And so he went back to that lot. There was about 50 cars there at that trail lot and uh, started to try them all. And against all odds, the guy who just left on the trail, Joe Estrada, it fit his truck. The key fit his truck. So they took the license plate. The sheriff took the license plate, contacted the family and contacted the wife, Linda Estrada, and they told her, your husband has just passed away um, on the trail running. He had a heart attack. Would you come down and be willing to identify the body? 
So she contacted all of her family. They went down to the hospital, 15 of them in the waiting room. She went back to the ER where the body was, and she looked at what she thought was her husband, and she said, well, it's his build. It's his jogging clothes. He had a tube in his mouth. He had tape over his eyes and her nose, so she couldn't quite tell. She took a hold of his hand, and she said, that feels like his hand, and she just sobbed, and she said, it's him. And then she went out to the waiting room with her family, her mother-in-law and all of them, and they were out there and they were just weeping there in the waiting room. Well, Joe finishes jogging and uh, he gets back in his truck and he goes and picks up some groceries, goes back to the house, puts the groceries away, and all of a sudden he gets a call from his boss's wife and his boss's wife is wanting to talk to Linda. And she says, Joe, is this you? He said, yes, it is. It's me. He said, you're dead. You're dead. And he says, well, no, I'm quite alive. And she says, they just reported that you were dead. They're all down at the hospital, and they just identified your body. She goes, well, I'm quite alive. And so he gets off the phone. Well, his cell phone was dead. So he gets in his, car, his truck. He, he uh, goes to the hospital as fast as he can. And he gets there. He finds the waiting room. He walks into the waiting room. And everybody's mouth dropped in total shock. You're alive. And his mother screamed in the waiting room. And then people began to just hug him and cry. And then they began to laugh. It was like, it's a wonderful life. It was like, you know, that TV show. And so anyways, <clears throat> the LA Times reported, the wife said, Linda said, about her husband, she said, if you ever die on me again, I'll kill you myself. <laughs> I like that. That's about the closest we could come to some kind of awe and shock. The difference is with Jesus, he really did die, and he really was in the grave for three days, and then he rose from the dead. And so you can get a feel for what he would have felt like, because... <clears throat> Before Jesus appeared, these disciples were going through this faith crisis. They were really struggling with this because uh, they followed Jesus believing he would set up the kingdom on earth. They misunderstood that their whole life and their walk with him. So they had this faith crisis. Everyone in the Christian life has a faith crisis at some point in their life. Everyone has a faith crisis at some point in their life. And so... They watched Jesus be apprehended in the garden, taken by the Roman soldiers and, and the Jewish authorities. And yet this time he opened not his mouth and, and he was led away and they took him without resistance. He had the power. They knew he had the power to resist, but he did not resist and he became like this lamb-like person. And they beat him like a slave. They whipped his back. They made him carry the cross of a criminal to Golgotha and they crucified him. And then they all ran and abandoned him. They ran and abandoned him. One of the women who was at the foot of the cross came back and told them that Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So each of the disciples probably thought to themselves, why should I stay if God left? Their faith had come into crisis. They ran to the upper room and they hid. They locked the doors, thinking if they killed the pastor, certainly they'll come for us. Why did God let this happen to us? That was their thinking. Why did God let this happen to us? And there is the core of when you have faith and your faith is in crisis. It sounds very similar to that. 
Why did God let this happen? Why, why, why? Why did my mom die? Why did my daughter die? Why did God leave me alone? Why, why did I lose my job? And that faith crisis builds in our hearts sometimes. Maybe it's not real. Maybe this doesn't work. Maybe this isn't true. And after the resurrection, with all these kind of faith crisis thoughts, there Jesus comes and he appears in the room. He just shows up. The Bible says, flesh and bones. Now, I want you to lock into that, flesh and bones. And, and they're just so shocked, they're terrified at first, they're taken back, and he says, here, look, see, look at my hands, touch them, touch them, and see if I'm not flesh and bones and real. Touch my wounds. I love that. Unlike the leaders that I know, most leaders want to show you their successes, their trophies, their degrees, their successes, but there are a few leaders that will show you their wounds. And Jesus says, I'll show you what they did to me. See, what Jesus was saying is you can't follow me in my successes. You have to follow me in my wounds. If there was a cross for me, there will be a cross for you if you follow me. And so Jesus literally is saying to them, you have to walk with me in my wounds. Look, look, they got me right there. They got me right there. Touch that. They got me right there and there and on my feet. Go ahead, touch them. See that I am flesh and bones. The cost of discipleship is a cross. That's what you need to understand. Touch me where they pierced me. Be not faithless, but believing. Jesus was human enough to cry, but God enough to walk out at a resurrection. Jesus was human enough to die on a cross, but God enough to come out of a grave. Jesus was human enough to suffer loss after loss, but God enough to still come for you. See, God makes house calls. I almost called my sermon that. God makes house calls for people in a faith crisis. Is that you? Do you in a faith crisis? What Jesus wanted to emphasize here at this moment in time, which I don't want you to miss, and this is where my heart went. Jesus said, right now, I have flesh and bones. Now, if you understand that like the disciples... You, you have this movement that goes from like absolute terror to incredible joy. And I want to show you that this morning as we kind of study this passage of Scripture. So I've outlined this passage around these two thoughts. There are two things to learn if Jesus has flesh and bones. There are two things. I actually had three things, but I said I won't be able to make it in time, so I'm just going to do two. There are two things to learn if Jesus has flesh and bones. And I really want you thinking today as much as I do want you entered into the emotional side of it as well. If Jesus died and rose again and yet still has flesh and bones, it means, first of all, he is Lord. This is important to understand. He is Lord. Now, I want you to notice the end of this passage first, and then I'll come back and talk more about that flesh and bone as far as touching me. 
Verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written that, the Christ, that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, I want you to notice that where it says, what's going to happen now, Jesus said, is there's going to be repentance and forgiveness for sins, and then I'm going to make sure this is proclaimed, and it's going to start here in Jerusalem, and it's going to go into all the world. It's going to go into all the world. And that's exactly what they did. Once they came to a belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they started in Jerusalem, they started to proclaim it. Then they went to the next area, the next area, the next area. And then the apostle Paul took it and he preached the same message. He preached forgiveness of sins and repentance found in Jesus Christ. And he proclaimed it wherever he could go. Like one of that comes to my mind is Acts 17. I was thinking about this one this week at Mars Hill, the era Opagus. I don't know if you've ever been to Athens, Greece. It is an incredible place to go and to see this Areopagus. It's a, it is a place where they would have all these philosophers come in Athens and they would talk philosophy and how to live life and what can we learn and they try to search for God and they talk about religion. So they had all these idols. They had hundreds of idols in the city of Athens and everyone believed a different idol and everyone believed a different God. But they were looking for some new way to understand life. That was their constant search. That's what philosophers do. They look for constant new ways to understand life. And so Paul comes and says, I'd like to speak to you all. He said, I noticed one of your idols was the unknown God. He said, I've come to talk to you about that unknown God. I know who he is. And they're like, that's great. Tell us more. Well, the God that is the unknown God has actually come to you and he's not been made in a temple. He's not, he can't live in a temple made with hands. He is the God who made the world. They loved it. They loved it. This is great. Why? Because they're all searching for God and, and, and they're looking for clues to life and they're trying to figure out how to live life and deal with the common day struggles of life. So tell us more, Paul. Preach on, Paul. And then Paul shifted his whole message about this unknown God, and he said, your times of ignorance God overlooked. But now through Jesus Christ, he commands everyone to repent. He commands everyone to repent because the world will be judged by this man, Jesus Christ, who God hath appointed and raised him from the dead. And that minute they said, stop, we don't want to hear another word. We're done. We're not going to listen to you anymore. The minute he said that about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, they don't want to hear anymore. Now, why would the lecture be over at that point for them? Number one, because they realize Paul is saying, your future search in philosophy is futile, and you don't need to do it anymore. <laughs> but they didn't want to do that. They wanted to keep searching and searching and searching. But they didn't want to search. They, they wanted to search, and Paul said, your, 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 future your futile search in philosophy and other religions is over. The second thing that was saying is, if Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and he's alive, it's time for a decision. Repent. And choose Christ as your Savior. See, what these philosophers knew and these religionists knew the resurrection was claiming something for its founder that no other religion came close to, and that is a resurrection. 
that someone would rise from the dead flesh and blood. They've heard about resurrections that no one's ever seen, and they've heard about resurrections like a ghost, but not in flesh and blood because that was unique to Jesus, and nobody was raised like Jesus. That's what they didn't want to accept. Because he is without decay, he is without disintegration, he is without death, he is beyond time. He's not like any other founder of religion or any other writer of philosophy. He is the firstborn of the dead that broke through death and still came out with flesh and blood. That's that's the emphasis of Luke chapter 24. That's why when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's really saying is, Don't search anymore. Repent. And there's the rub. Some people don't want to repent. I kind of like the life I'm living. I like living for today. I like some of the things I'm doing. They may not be right, but I'm going to do them anyways. I don't want to repent. And that's why they did not want to hear the message anymore because it was a call to repentance. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm flesh and blood. I'm flesh and blood. Touch me, handle me. And the Bible says they still struggled to believe. And then Luke is the only one to record this. Jesus looks and says, you got anything here to eat? Yeah, we got some fish. So he takes the fish and he starts eating the fish because no resurrected person would do that. So he takes the fish and he starts to eat it. And Luke takes the time to record that he ate the fish. Now, Jesus ate the fish because, number one, he wants you to know he's alive, okay? Because dead people don't eat fish, all right? Number two, he wants you to know he's flesh and blood, which is absolutely amazing to think about. It's not a legend. It's not just a story. Luke is doing what John said. John said that which we've heard from the beginning. We touched it with our hands. We saw it with our eyes. We we heard it with our ears, and now we declare it to you. And Luke was playing off in that, and he's saying, the only explanation we can give you is he rose from the dead, and he is Lord. We know this is an outrageous claim. That's what they're saying. We know this is outrageous. Luke says... You can call us liars, and you might even believe we are liars, because we haven't proved it. We can't prove he rose from the dead. That was Paul's struggle. How do I prove this? And so you can think we're liars, and to you we could be liars, but the truth is you only have one of two choices now. Either call us a liar or repent. That's it. That's why Jesus said this in verse 47. Call us a liar or repent. Believe us and enter into a whole new world, but don't dumb down what we are saying. We are not saying he rose as a spirit, he raised up as a ghost, and he lives on in some kind of ethereal way. We're not saying that at all. We're saying there's a real, physical, touchable Jesus that rose from the dead and is flesh and bones today, which is absolutely amazing to think about. That your Savior, God himself, would limit himself, the second person of the Trinity, would limit himself forever in order to save you. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, 
Christ Jesus. That's, just think about that for a minute, okay? I just want that to sit in your heart and in your life right now. So, he didn't raise in the spirit. He raised as flesh and blood. And he calls us to repent because he raised in flesh and blood. All right, number two. If Jesus died and rose again and yet still has flesh and bones, it means you have a whole new way to relate to the world. Now, I had to rely on some guys for this thought because I had to do a lot of uh, research on this to just kind of get this communication to you. But the Bible says in verse 41 that he eats the fish. He eats the fish. What does that mean? What is he telling us? He's telling you something about your life. And what he's telling you is this, and I want you to lock this into your heart. Your future is a physical future. Glorified, yes, but it's a physical future. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Your future is a physical, you are not some kind of angel that's going to go floating up or you're not some kind of spirit. You're going to have a physical future in a glorified state. Jesus did not come to redeem you away from this world because one day this world is going to be reshaped, melted down, and reformed. And you are going to go back between heaven and earth. And you're going to be on this earth with a physical flesh and bone body. Glorified nonetheless. It's an amazing thing to think about. He didn't just come to redeem us away from this world. Like if you trust me, you go as a spirit or an angel into some kind of nether, nether world when you die and leave it all and you're happy forevermore. No, that, that's not the point. What Jesus is saying is, this world is so important to me that I have come to redeem not only you, but it too. I'm going to redeem this world. Which is an amazing thought here to think about, okay? Your future, what Jesus is saying is this, this real world is so important to me that I have come to redeem you and it, and your future is what you see in me and you'll have a real physical body that is glorified. That's why Jesus says this world still matters. This is going to be one of the places you hang out in a fixed up world when he remakes it. Now, let me go a little further with this, okay? If you believe you will have a real physical body, like I'm arguing here today, you can live this life without any regrets. If you believe in a physical resurrection of Jesus with a redeemed body where he ate in a body, he loved in a body, and he hugged people in a body, then I'm going to say to you, you will have a redeemed body, body where you eat in a body, you love in a body, you hug in a body, you dance in a body. I mean, how do two ghosts hug? What I think about this is this, okay? I'm thinking about this a lot, okay? I think people in this town, in this city, are frantic about the things that they're going to miss out on. And they're afraid they're going to miss out on something on this earth while they're here and alive. And so they become kind of frantic is the way I like to say it. The F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out on something. 
and I don't know how much it's crept in some of you, but I, I just want to talk to that for just a minute. They feel like they're going to miss out on a great family or a great career or a great marriage or great sex or great travel. They're going to miss out on love. They're going to miss out on intimacy. They're going to miss out on physical beauty, terrific food to see the sights. They feel they don't want to miss out. They don't want to miss out. Reminds me of the old beer commercial. This is going to date me a little, but I'll do it anyways. You only go around once in life. So grab for all the gusto you can get. This is all you got, this life. And so the beer commercials, now that really dated me, but the beer commercials have pushed an agenda to say, you better get it now. You better get it now because this is all you got, this life. And that smacks against the very theology of Scripture in a physical body. So, Easter Sunday says, don't be ridiculous. If you unite with Jesus Christ, you will miss out on nothing. Therefore, he calls us to say, sacrifice yourself, give your money away, give yourself to other people, let people impose on you, because you're not going to miss out on anything. Because you follow in the steps of the one who gave himself in sacrifice, who served others, who put the needs of others ahead of himself, and he never traveled more than 150 miles in his entire life. From Nazareth down to Egypt, back to Jerusalem, he only made a span on the whole globe of 150 miles. That's the furthest he went from home. I I gander to say that everybody in this room's already gone over 150 miles in their life. Think about that, but Jesus so concentrated himself on just one area to serve others. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to develop a thought here, this. I'm saying you're not going to miss out on anything. The implication is you don't have to spend your time working 70 hours a week as if you're going to miss out on something because you've got to get more money to be able to do more things. You won't miss out on anything. That's what I'm trying to emphasize today. Now, now where did I get some of my thoughts from? C.S. Lewis. Every time I get where I start thinking like this, I go to C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a book called The Weight of Glory. I've read it twice, and I went back to it this week to review some thoughts in it, and I thought, man, that guy's got insight to life and to the future. He says this about physical pleasure. He said, God created physical pleasure now. When you eat something so good, when you embrace someone that's so wonderful, when you hear music that is so sublime, he says, what we now call physical pleasure are the faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the world. I put it up there because <laughs> that is too deep. That is too deep. To have to, you have to kind of read it again and say, what did he say? That's what he said. In other words, already in the mind of God, all these pleasures were already in the mind of God. He took them, and they are nothing but a far faint off. When he put them into the world, they're nothing but a far faint, far off result of what is greater in his heart right now. It's just far faint off. You're not even close to the pleasures you're going to experience. You're not even close. So C.S. Lewis goes a little deeper on this. And I got to know my audience here, so I'm going to reword some things here because it's, it's, a, it's a larger audience. But uh, the, the, the question that was often asked C.S. Lewis is, 
Will we have, uh, he says this, can heaven get any better than this? So one, somebody sent him a question, said, will there be intimate physical relationship in heaven? If, if these are a far faint off result of what's going to be in the mind of God and in the future, will there be physical intimate pleasure in heaven? C.S. Lewis's insight is noteworthy. He talked about a boy who heard about people having physical, intimate relationship. And the boy said, well, do they eat chocolate while they're having it? He was told that relationship was a wonderful experience, but to him it was like nothing could be better than eating chocolate. That's kind of how you're geared right now. Could there really be anything better than what we're experiencing right now? At any level? So C.S. Lewis goes on, he says, Some feel there will be a sense of loss in heaven to not have a physical relationship like that. But to imagine a sense of loss in heaven over anything you enjoy now is like the boy thinking that chocolate is the greatest joy when in reality we will experience greater and incredible things that await us. I love that. I love that. I wish I could write like him and think like him. The greatest physical relationships here are going to be nothing like the incredible intimacy and relationships we experience with one another in Jesus Christ. You won't miss out on anything. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You won't miss out on anything. The best beverage you could have, the best meal you could have, the best restaurant you could go to is nothing compared to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You think this food's the greatest? It's a far faint off cry to what God's got in store. When you see dancers dancing, and you see them going through the routines, and you know, sometimes I look at that and say, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could dance like that, but I can't dance. And I watched that, and, and I was reading one story about a dancer, and they said that a dancer can hardly dance past the age of 40 because it is so hard on, it, on the ankles, it destroys their ankles by the time they're 40, and they've got incredible aches and pains, and that's why they got to do all their dancing before 40. Now, I got to thinking about that, when Jesus Christ returns and rules the earth, Psalm 96 says, even the trees will dance. Even the trees will dance. So what will that be like for us? What it will be like for us is you will not miss out on anything. You don't, you don't have to worry about all those wonderful pics you try to get on your last trip and make it look like it was the greatest time in your life. You know all that work we do when we go on those vacations and we spend all that time trying to get that final picture at the beach and we want everybody there and everybody to be happy. I mean, we do it and it's usually on a Wednesday or Thursday night of the week and, and the girls will leave the beach early to get their hair done and get everything fixed up so they look just right and then we'll, go to the, we'll drive to the end of the beach and we'll walk through this bird sanctuary with these birds are dive bombing us to get to the end of the beach and we get to the end of the beach there and then we got to wait till the sun goes down to about 8 30 9 o'clock somewhere in there so we can have the sun in the background so you think we had an incredible vacation but let me tell you something just that one day alone was a fiasco a fiasco 
We were at each other's necks trying to get all the kids to smile and look at the camera at one time. It was awful, the whole, the whole experience. But you know what? There we are all smiling in our picture. We look like we had a wonderful time in this wonderful. But the truth is I knew what it took to get there. And what Jesus is saying is you won't miss out on anything in your turn. You think you've got to work so hard to get everything just right on your vacation and then get everything worked out in your life just right so you can actually enjoy because you have a fear of missing out. And what he's saying is you're, you're, you're literally... You're literally messing up the whole idea of what this world is supposed to be like for you right now. And he's telling you, you won't miss out on anything. Don't worry about those picks, okay? What he's saying is, they ain't nothing. You think they're everything. Oh, they're everything. They ain't nothing is what he's saying compared to heaven. Won't even touch it, won't even get close. You didn't get to go everywhere. Some people get to go. You didn't ever get to see the white cliffs of Dover. You didn't miss out on anything. You didn't miss out on anything. Well, it looks like I missed out. Don't, don't look back when you were young and say, oh, I wish I was young and beautiful again. You are nothing compared to what you will look like then. And it, it'll be far greater. What you look like when you were young and beautiful is far greater faint, far-off faint cry of what God has in store for you and the way you look. <laughs> That's encouraging, isn't it? That's beautiful to think about. Some of you are going to look a whole lot better, and I'm thankful for that. You know, but, but you, I mean, I mean, if you could just get that in your heart, because some of you get so caught up in those kind of things as you age. It bugs me when I get older, and I go, oh, man, I can't get around like I used to, and I got these sores and aches. But the truth of the matter is, compared to your future, you look like a celery stick right now. Now, if you quote me at lunch, somebody speak up and say, compared to your future, you look like a celery stick, Okay. Pastor Rob says, I look like a celery stick. Compared to your future, you look like a celery stick, okay? That's, that's what I'm saying to you, which is an amazing thing. So right now, have no regrets, no fears, no problem with sacrifice, because our future is a physical future. I love to think about that. Our future is a physical future. We are not just ghosts or some kind of Star Wars evolved beings floating around the universe. That's not it at all. That's not even close to it. Your feet will touch the ground on the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Your feet will touch the ground. You will march, you will dance, you will hug, you will love, and you can't wait to get your hands and your arms around Jesus. Your flesh and bones. And just like Mary didn't want to let him go, that's what you're going to be like. And you're going to have your chance. You have nothing to be afraid of or no regrets. Just relax. Easter means this world is not all there is. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to think about. But on the other hand, this world is incredibly important. It will be reformed, it will be reshaped, and it will be remade. But what God is saying to us now is, I want you to hear this, it's worth fighting for. 
It's worth fighting for. When you see children suffer, fight for it. When you see the poor living in squalor, fight for it. When you see abortions, fight for it. When you see every imaginable evil, fight against it. Say, I'm going to do what I can in this world. Don't get this attitude that somehow says, oh, I just want to get away from it all. This world is getting so perverted and so messed up. No, that's not the spirit. The spirit is to say, I'm going to fight because I care. What do I care about? I care about lost souls. I'm on a rescue mission. I've got to see lost souls get saved. God doesn't want us to just tolerate evil, injustice, violence, degradation until he takes us home. I don't, I don't believe that at all. Be a part of working a plan to overthrow that. Now, you can't do everything. You can go to that love life walk with me in a couple weeks. You can go to that. That's something simple you could do. That's just a small way, but there's all kinds of things you do, but be doing something in this world to make that kind of difference. Be on a rescue mission for something that you're passionate about for the cause of Christ. Move with courage and joy, and yet have a sense of fight about you in this world. So on the one hand, fight. On the other hand, joy. It's, it's just kind of how you're to be geared right now. A fight and a joy. Best way I know how to describe this, and I'll kind of close with this story, is our role is kind of like the story of the Vietnam vet in Birmingham, Alabama. A few winters ago, in Birmingham, Alabama, the unexpected happened. A father pulled up to a hospital to pick up his wife and the newborn baby at the exit. She was sitting in the uh, wheelchair waiting to be picked up. He pulled up his car. He had a three-year-old boy in the back in a car seat. And because it was so cold there in Birmingham in that particular winter, he left the keys in the ignition. He went 50 feet to get his wife, and by the time he got his wife and was come back, someone hijacked and kidnapped the, car, the baby and the car. So the three-year-old was gone. All of Birmingham went on a shutdown. They shut down interstates, uh, highways. They, they had people, thousands of people were recruited just within a few hours to help find this baby before it got out of the area. So they searched and they searched. That evening, as the sun was going down, about uh, probably about 6, 7 o'clock, somewhere right in there, um, they found the car abandoned, but no baby, just a car seat in the back in downtown Birmingham. And a Vietnam vet had an idea. He told the father, he said, I don't think this was a kidnapping. He said, I think someone was taking your car to get from the hospital just to downtown. They didn't even know the kid was in the back. And the father said, I don't know. So the Vietnam vet went down to that car where it was in the city of Birmingham. And he got a flashlight as the sun was going down. And he started going up alleyways from where that car was. Looking for that little boy, thinking maybe that little boy got out of the car and just went somewhere it would be warmer. And he came to an abandoned house at the end of an alleyway. And it was boarded up. There was a porch swing on the front, and there was newspapers next to the swing. He shined his flashlight on the porch there, and all of a sudden he saw the newspapers move. And he yelled out to the little boy, he said, Billy, Billy, is that you? And Billy had hidden in the newspapers to try to keep warm. And Billy said, is that you, Daddy? And the Vietnam vet said, no, I'm not your daddy, but I'm here to take you to your daddy. And he took the boy home, and he rescued him. 
The reason I told you that story is because I want all, all of us to be like that Vietnam vet. Our goal is to be on a rescue mission for this world. And we're trying to bring people home to their Father in heaven and rescue them before it's eternally too late. Because there is nothing to miss out on in the future if you know Christ. That's what we're about. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment as, as the praise team comes to the front, I want to take a moment here this morning, and it may be that the Spirit of God has spoken to you about your relationship with God. And right now you would say, you know, Pastor Rob, I need to be saved. I need to repent. What does it mean to repent? It means I'm, I need to turn from my sin. I need to own it and say I'm guilty. And I need Jesus as my Savior. And you may be here today and under the sound of my voice, you listened and you heard the central message of the gospel is repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And you'd say under the authority of God's word, I want to be saved. Now, if that's you here this morning, and you would like to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and you'd like to receive him as your Lord and Savior, would you just take a moment, would you just lift up your hand so I could see it? Just lift it as high as you can. Yes, there's one. Yes, I see that back there, ma'am. Yes, I see that over here. Just looking around, I just want to put that hand up. You can put it back down if you already raised it. I saw that, yes. Is there any other before I close in prayer? Yes, I see that one over there. You who raised your hand, there's an element of faith in you right now. And that faith may not be strong, but it's enough to say, I come in agreement with the word of God. My sin deserves judgment. So I want you to pray this prayer right now. Dear God, my sin deserves judgment. You sent your son to die on a cross for my sin. I put my faith and trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Save me. If you prayed that prayer, I believe under the authority of God's word, that's the start of a relationship with Christ. You are saved and on your way to heaven. And now Jesus Christ longs for you to grow and to know him and to draw closer to him and to learn of his ways. You got nothing to miss out on you won't miss out on anything. I want you to help me. I want you to fill out a card. There's one in front of the seat jacket in front of you. You can take that card. Just fill it out. Put your name there and indicate that you got saved today. You accepted the Lord. And then you can turn it into the greeter area or I'll be up here at the front. You can bring it to me. But I want to know and I want to pray for you in your walk with the Lord. And we want to do everything we can to help you. Now, you who know the Lord, you put your faith and trust in him. Maybe you're here today. My goal was just to get you to relax. There is absolutely nothing to miss out on. There are some things you may never be able to do or never able to fix. But I promise you, you will have a glorified flesh and bone body. And everything you're feeling and experiencing now is a far off faint cry of what's waiting for you. 
And so, Lord, we rejoice in your flesh and bone body that you limited for us forever. We give you all the glory and honor today. We lift it up. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team is going to sing this morning. There's something on your heart you need to bring to the altar. Of course, the altar is open. We'd love to invite you to do that. You come this morning if there's something you want to bring to this altar. Let's take time now to sing together with our team.